Welcome, folks, to another episode of the Not Funny Guys Presents Why, exploring the philosophy, rhetoric, and cultural impact of the MCU. I am your host, Dr. John, and I am joined here by one of my best friends, Eric, who knows some, but not a lot about philosophy. Some. Just some. Rhetoric? Eh. How about comic book culture? Eh. Okay. Well, that's why he's here to talk to me. Also joining us on this episode is our Ooh. other member of our trio of the Not Funny Guys, Casey. So, this pod... He, he knows is, a lot more than me. <laughs> does. These chips are really hot now. Yes, he's eating hot <laughs> chips, folks. So, this pod is an extension of our main podcast, Not Funny Guys Presents Off the Reels, where we explore the films. And here, we will explore a little bit more some of the ideas that stick out in some vigorous debate, starting with asking the question, why? This is episode five. And for this one, we are looking at the philosophical ethics in Iron Man 3. Now, I will mention here in some of our comic book backstory, I will not be giving anything about the Warriors 3, Lady Sif, or Darcy in this one, specifically because they will be, be appearing more. But I wanted to focus mainly on some of the background and comic book background of our comic book characters, particularly let's start with the Mandarin. So he is an arch enemy of Tony Stark Iron Man. He was created by Stan Lee and Don Heck, and he first appeared in Tales of Suspense number 50 in 1964. The original character was conceived as a as the child of a wealthy Chinese father and an English aristocratic mother. Sounds like a lovely combination, don't you think? <laughs> Consider uh, a kind of megalomaniac seeking to conquer the world. He is the wielder of the Ten Rings, which have their origin in outer space, of course discovered in a crashed ship, which sounds a lot like the plot behind the bangle in Miss Marvel. Um, they allow the Mandarin to utilize the Makulan or dragon-like reptilian aliens technology with each ring having certain powers. Of course, none of this takes place in the MCU, but just in case you wanted to know, the rings that he has on his little finger, left hand, is an ice blast, right hand, black light, or Nightbringer, which we're so I don't know exactly. Uh, we're not going to linger on these. The ring finger on his left is a the Mento intensifier, disintegration beam on his right. He also has an electro blast lighting, a vortex beam, a flame blast, an impact beam, white light, and a matter rearranger light. So yeah, fun stuff. But of course, we will see none of that in the MCU version. Uh, but we will see more about the Ten Rings, of course, in Shang Chi. We also have Aldrich Killian and Maya Hansen, who both first appeared in Iron Man Volume 4, number 1, in 2005. Uh, in the comic books, Aldrich Killian was a brilliant scientist working for Future Farm Corporation, along with Dr. Maya Hansen. Of course, we see both of them in the film, but they are very different here. They create the Extremists, which is a techno-organic virus that rewrites body, body's genetic code. Code. He, in fact, steals this extremist and sold it to criminals before he gets himself offed. So sad mm -hmm. time for that Aldridge. Of course, revisiting the fact that we didn't introduce these last time, I did want to bring up uh, Virginia Pepper Potts and Harold Joseph Happy Hogan. Uh, these are longtime characters in the Iron Man universe. Of course, we've now been with them at, on their third film. Uh, to Pepper Potts first appeared in Tales of Suspense number 45 in 1963, created by Stan Lee, uh, Robert Bernstein, and Don Heck, and appeared as a supporting character to Tony Stark and sometime love interest. I'm using air quotes there. Uh, she was originally his secretary and often rejected Tony's inappropriate workplace advances. Welcome to the 1960s, folks. 
Uh, she also originally had uh, welcome had, to the 60s. Yeah, she also had to fend <laughs> off Happy too. His inappropriate workplace advances. She eventually, though, married Happy Hogan in the comic books. Um, and of course, since the filming films and everything, she has evolved into a much larger character in the comic books. Of course, Happy Hogan is a former boxer, which makes sense if you remember Iron Man too. Um, and he is Tony's chauffeur bodyguard and personal sense assistant he's also his close friend he was also created by stan lee robert bernstein and don heck and first appeared in tales of suspense number 45 same issue as pepper in 1963 uh other additions i want to note here even though we will not cover some of these characters we will talk about briefly jane foster and eric selvig since we are on the last time they will appear in a thor movie I want to note them real quickly, but before we get to them, I do want to mention the Iron Patriot, and we mentioned this on the main pod, but the Iron Patriot first appeared in Dark Avengers number one in 2009, created by Maya Michael Bendis and Mike Didato. Uh, it was piloted by one, none other than the Green Goblin himself, Norman Osborn, who made the armor in order to evoke a Captain America-like leader for his new Avengers, who were really made up of former criminals, after he got Tony's job following the disaster of Secret Invasion. So, so nothing Oscorp like became the military supplier. Sort of, but not. But yeah, he basically became the front man, and that was a whole disaster. But The TV show's not done yet. You can't call it a disaster. <laughs> not the TV show, Casey. We're talking about the comics here. Now, with the other two characters I want to mention, Jane Foster, of course, was a primary love interest of Thor, appeared in Journey into Mystery number 84 in 1962. She was created by Stan Lee, Stan Lee's brother, Larry Lieber, and Jack Kirby. She was introduced not as a scientist, but as a nurse who was involved with Donald Blake. Thor's original uh, identity as a human, which Ooh. they did play on in the movie, okay, before he remembered his true identity, and then she actually, uh, she was actually his employee. She was a nurse working under him. So again, another inappropriate relationship. More, of course, can be said about that in the future because we are not a hundred percent done with Jane Foster. But then, of course, we have Doctor Eric Selwig, who first appeared in Avengers: Standoff. Welcome to Pleasant Hill in 2016. Uh, so, post film appearance, he was actually retroactively brought into the comic books post film, and he was brought into Shield as a leading expert on the Cosmic Cube, which we know in the films as the Tesseract. Which, of course, we turned that up. And, of course, he dies uh, in Captain America Steve Rogers number 16 in 2017. That was a great one year for you, buddy. <laughs> now, of course, as we know here, we do have the fact that we do know that in the Iron Man 3, they did a complete flip the script thing with the Mandarin. Um, and we're going to focus a little bit more on some of the things, the fallout from Iron Man 3. Uh, but I'll, I will say that if you wanted to sum up the Thor Dark World, I do find that there is a nice complex, complex development of relationships between Thor, his family, and Jane, even though Natalie Portman is as stiff as a board with no chemistry in that film whatsoever. So less said, the better. <laughs> but before we get to our discussion topic, I want to bring up what I want to help guide our discussion here and i'm borrowing from a article written by cr perkins in 2016 called techno ethics and responsibility um and i wanted to help guide our discussion primarily around iron man so sorry thor you're out for this episode uh and what this basically issues here is that the discovery application and advancement of technology requires philosophers and ethicists to apply the study discerning moral principles involved with past, present, and future technological feats. 
there is an existing ethical theories that we can draw upon to address these ethical problems. So when we're thinking about the dynamic interchange between um, the advancement of technology, whether it be AI or things of that nature, things that we have discussed in other points and other podcasts, there are some ethical theories that we want to bring into a situation here. And there are two big ones, and there is a, technically a third one that I want to bring to our attention before I get to our question. So if you're ready here, let's look at the first one. The first one is called pure utilitarianism. And this is the belief that any action is right and defensible if it brings about the largest amount of good for the largest amount of people. If you want a good pop culture reference, anybody who has seen uh, Star Trek Wrath of Khan, remember, or any of the Star Treks where Spock iterates the idea that the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few, he is espousing a pure utilitarian. The idea being here is that if they created the most out good positive outcome for people, then whatever you did is morally defensible. This is the same application you can apply to Osmantius and Watchmen when he murders all the people in New York City with the outcomes. He is acting from a purely utilitarian and essentially can oftentimes be broken down as the epitome of the ends justify the means. This is a a train car experiment. No empathy. Oh, yes. Go for yes. the one, not, yes. the, not the many. There's one person on the train crack. There's 10 people that you switch so that hits the one. Yes, that's exactly where a lot of that derives from. Now, our second theory is Kant's deontological ethical system that argues that the morality and upholding certain values and principles are a matter of duty. That is one's responsibility to do what is objectively and or instinctually good. So it's less concerned about consequences and more concerned about acting on right actions. And so I want to mm -hmm. think about those as we now think about our question here. So in Iron Man 3, Tony has to perhaps more than ever face the limitations and dangers of his own personality and creations, both literally the suits and accidentally things like extremists and Killian, Aldrich Killian. What level of responsibility taking into these things do we think Tony has or should have in terms of responsibility? Do we think him is approaching this more utilitarian or more deontological so is he more concerned about doing the amount of good or doing the right thing? How do we think that comes into play here? In terms of dealing with Killian or kind of recovering from his own Either. setbacks? Well, you remember, we have to keep in mind that, remember, we're dealing with a Tony Stark who's obviously faced a trauma in the mm -hmm. events of the Avengers. So right. do we think he is acting in a sort of ends justify the means or is he acting from a trying to act from a moral point of doing right? I would say more on the moral side, if I had to make a guess, um, mostly because he he recognizes the other players of the game. You know, for example, the kid. Right. Mm -hmm. I think despite his kind of brusque relationship with the kid, he is not. He is not belittling of him. He is very much congratulatory of him. He is he, he makes the kid feel, you know, scene i guess you could say um despite the fact that you know he, he he does kind of trash talk him at times but in in kind of that it feels like a big brother sort of relationship if you will um and so i feel like this is that movie that really showed tony stark's arc throughout his three movies to recognize his own i mean to your point humanity but also to recognize the needs of those around him 
as much as those of his alone. So I, I do feel like he comes at it from a moral place. Um, that said, I also think he's very pragmatically, you know, uh, moral about these things. So sure, he has his morals, but he also recognizes that he'll sacrifice himself for example right i mean i think that's the end of the avengers is that flip switch if you will or switch present in this film too yeah where he's he recognizes he put himself forward for the greater good and now he has to deal with the the trauma that that you know makes him realize that's a good point i mean i would say that we if you're talking about an arc of iron man films we start with Tony stark who's kind of morally empty and by the Very time so. we get to him at this point, he has a, a he has developed a stronger moral compass and a realization. And here's the thing. He does not have to engage in this. He can mm-hmm. balance a utilitarian and deontological point of view. Most people do. Most people do not subscribe to one. I would not say he's pure utilitarian. He probably was in the past, but he has moved more towards a, a gravitational center at this point where he's realizing that he needs to create more in the more good in the world. And that does mean that he has to take on a, a willingness to set to take up a moral position where in the past he felt no obligation to do that. Yeah, I mean, Iron Man 1 literally opens with him glad-handing and schmoozing, you know, three soldiers on a tank yes. <laughs> or in a, in an armored vehicle, you know. I mean, there's nothing he has no morals. He's not he doesn't care about them. He just is enjoying the ride, right? He's, He's enjoying the, the press. He's kind yeah. of hedonistic, yeah. So, and to to come to, I mean, we'll go further with this arc, but I feel like we're at the kind of the start of the apex, if you will, or or I don't know if that's the right term, but like we've reached kind of like peak Tony Stark, where at this point he's he switched his personality, and the next arc is him going even further. Right. Well, the problem we'll is see. this: he's going to lead himself into a trap that we'll see in the Civil War, where he accidentally finds himself, and this is very reflective of well, the Ultron. The comic. Even well, we'll Ultron we'll is flip that Ultron is actually part of his slip we'll teach further him into. Into the utilitarian, pure utilitarian lane, and he does the almost the exact same thing in in Civil War. Mm-hmm. He allows himself to be in the in this on the side of the the Accords, which yeah, is but itself I, I... an attempt at a utilitarian mindset of controlling, and that's where he that's where he butts heads with Captain America. Captain America is almost pure deontological. Yeah, but I think we're I mean I mean we're obviously jumping ahead a lot, but I think yeah, yeah, the yeah. I think the Civil War is more of a personal inner looking on his end. Like it's more of a personal vendetta, you know, personal drive. Even the idea of coming out, like it there's something deeply personal about all this to him. I mean, that's why it ties so much to his family, that movie. Um, whereas Ultron is more about the actual feeling of him trying to do the you you um the greater good idea. You could see Ultron as him but slipping, fucking, but it's but him over, slipping back over. into his old habits. It's but but for the oh, wait, better, wait, wait. but for better reasons. True. No, no, no. But that can always go astray. Sure. In sure. justify the yeah. means, that's his problem. Yeah. Casey, I th- I think Ultron. I think he's fully responsible for everything he did. I think he learns. He starts to learn that by definitely end of Iron Man three mm-hmm. that he's responsible for. But I think. I think Ultron is him overcompensating for that responsibility, but still then causes more problems that he's then responsible for to have to clean up, which the snowballs into civil war, 
which then snowballs into Endgame and in the the um, in, in Infinity War when he has that extreme guilt later down the line. It's him constantly being aware after he becomes Iron Man, once he becomes mm-hmm. injured. It's him constantly being aware that every action he makes, no matter how good he tries to do it, intention-wise, he constantly keeps pushing the, too far and causing. Would you more say problems. he's in a loop? He's definitely in a loop that he just can't break. Mm-hmm. My my thesis for Ultron, because I have yet to watch it for next week, um, is that this is essentially him. For narcissistic reason, collapsing upon himself, right? So it's it's a mix of of hubris, right? That I think he thinks he can be this kind of giant problem solver in the way that he thinks he's solving it, and and short sightedness, right? So he's looking at the immediate problem, not thinking of the greater impact, right? Well, so on one hand, I mean he's by, thinking, this is "What of, I mean by him? This is what I mean by him slipping into the ends just to buy yeah, the means." He's got like blinders on, and so he sees one direction long distance and this is if i do this path it leads to nothing but good but if you were to take the blinders off right if you were to expand his focus he'd see the greater impact of his decisions i think and you know arguably would probably lead him to a different outcome from what we see in ultimately ultron which is you know the 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 villain of the movie well and then he gets part of the flaw of his character he's kind of always kind of stuck in a bit of a loop oh, where yeah. he he's is, always got hubris he gets he's got a moral he's got a moral feeling that pushes him in a direction but then he sort of gives in to a, a sense that somehow that the outcome will justify whatever real risks he's willing to take and right. in, and what we'll see in age of ultron and we'll probably talk about more of it then is the idea that in that one in particular he he tries to literally go without the team you know the guidance and input of others, and down a path that literally, where he yeah, thinks I know best. he thinks he's engaged in a deontological moral quest, and what he ends up finding out is that he is strayed into a utilitarian field where he thinks he's going to create the best possible outcome, and he's lost sight. What's where it's he he and Doctor Strange are very similar. Mm. Doctor Strange, though, the difference is Tony just goes like, "Oh, I'm going to do this; it'll fix the problem." be damned with the consequences dr strange sits there and took the time to look at every scenario to find the one um mm-hmm. before he made his sleep now, oh yeah changes later but and multiverse multiverse of madness but in in the, the avengers arcs at the very least um that's where they differ it would be interesting both egotistical men what you have to keep in mind here is that the deontological and the utilitarian in a lot of ways have a kind of give and pull with themselves within people. We don't necessarily commit one way or the other too much. We tend to exist ourselves along a spectrum where we pull between the things depending on situations. What's always fascinating about Iron Man is how oftentimes he fits more inside of a utilitarian a little bit more inside of a working utilitarian model and captain America is a contrast to him. And that contrast is that captain America operates from a highly damn the consequence. I mean, look at winter soldier when, when Nick Fury and he says, no, burn it all down. That is a highly deontological argument that he, that captain America is making about, no, it all goes, you know, no, no, we're not going to try and salvage this where this is the only way to do it. And both time, both alleyways can lead to blind spots. And Captain America and, and Iron Man are probably the, the two most susceptible to those blind spots. It would be interesting to do like a leadership review of like the leadership styles of like Tony Stark versus Steve Rogers versus 
I think they're probably the main two, obviously, as we get to Civil War. Um, but like because I think of like Thor, he's not really a leader in the in the same sense as them. Like Thor's a battlefield general, right? He's the one you want on the field making decisions, split decisions, right? But he you, he doesn't choose his own deployment. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, so like it would I be interesting say, to see like how how do they compare their styles and and what is more effective and when. See, right? This calls for another spectrum examination here. Mm. This is a but I'll tell you this: if you want a great example of the extreme versions of utilitarianism, deontologicalism, go look at go watch go read Watchmen. Watchmen is replete with characters who are starkly divided along that line you'll have dr manhattan way down the line of utilitarianism along with ozymandias and spectrum, other people really, like you, and of will. course you will find the other side of the spectrum you find rorschach mm. who is like a you know moral fanatic and things of that nature so it's fascinating because i've always found watchmen actually provides one of the most replete examples captain america and tony stark kind of show us two ends of the of the spectrum a little bit but you could then find the other characters somewhere along that spectrum as well. There's a forever recommendation of mine, by the way, is the the graphic novel, The Watchmen. Yes. It's never, I, I there is no one who doesn't have the ability to read that and, and wouldn't enjoy that, in my opinion, if they come to it open-minded. True. It is, it is one of the best, like my top 10 books, period, not just graphic novels. So since we're already hitting ahead here, I want to go ahead and we'll, Let's put a pin in this conversation for now because I think we're yeah, yeah. not going to be we're not going to be done with this discussion because I think we've got, like we've already been hinting here with Winter Soldier and with Age of Ultron and with Civil War and a lot of ways we're not done with this kind of utilitarian deontological discussion so I think we can put a pin in it for now but let me go ahead and have final thoughts from you guys before we depart the conversation today so let me start with you Casey any final thoughts about Iron Man three and this idea of the ethical elements at all. I think Iron Man 3 is an interesting case study on, on in comic book film on not just um, overcompensating on, or starting to overcompensate on your past transgressions, whether you meant to do it or not. Mm. Um, but it's also an interesting look at how depression and PTSD can affect that in this particular instance. Because um, not only is he trying to deal with the mistakes that he made in the past, but he's also trying to deal with it while he's broken himself from trauma that has happened. I think we need to revisit some discussion, perhaps on this podcast, and if not on the main one, definitely here about mental health, too. Because yes. I think we're not we're definitely not done with that. And Civil War will bring us back to some of that as well. Eric, your final thoughts. Oh, um. Yeah, I think I think Iron Man 3 really kind of humbles Tony Stark in a lot of ways and lets him see failure and and struggle in a way that he hasn't, I think, since the caves, if you will. Um, and so he has to really work himself back into a situation. At the same time, he does kind of have this. He does have that reward at the from the final fight of like even though he throws away his tech, even though he all those things at the very end, his tech was what saved him. And so in his mind, this is the natural progression that I think will lead to Ultron, right? If I just create the perfect suit, the perfect, you know, avatar for myself, essentially, um, then 
we're good, right? That I can predict it. I can be ready. I can minority report this shit, right? Like So on one hand, I think that it was a great study of both the kind of end of one Tony Stark and the start of another Tony Stark in terms of Marvel arcs. Tony Stark has had the most opportunity to grow in, in phases than anyone else besides maybe Steve Rogers. He's had a lot of opportunity well, as well. The, he's the heart of the, he's the heart of the MCU. Yeah. Yeah. Was. I mean, yeah, it's Tony's phase one through three is the Tony Stark show in, in some regard. Definitely. All right, folks. So we want to hear what your thoughts are. Tell us, you can write to us at notfunnyguys.offthereels at gmail.com. You can hit us up on Instagram at not underscore funny underscore guys underscore presents. And you can also hit us up on Twitter at notfunnyguyspod and coming soon, Blue Sky. So until next time, keep oh, listening. Real quick Uh-oh, before you, Casey's before got you go. He wants to say. Sorry, go, 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 real go. quick. Um, don't forget to plug our special that we recorded. True. Um, we did a Comic-Con special. So look forward to that on all your podcast services around the internet coming Thank very, you. very soon. Thank Do-do-do. you for reminding about that, Casey. Excellent. So, uh, like I said, keep an eye out for our special. Listen to our main episode. Come back next week. And in the meantime, if you have any questions, you have some thoughts, you have some complaints, you have some gripes you want to uh, impose upon us and make us listen to. Or if you send in audio clips, we please encourage that. If you want to write, we'll pin our eyeballs open and stare at them until they bleed. But we'll get back to you. <laughs> and very likely you'll hear yourself being shouted out on one of our pods. But until then, folks. Next week, stay strange.